This is Real Talk, the Customer Insights Show with Jen Vogel, a top-rated live stream and podcast in the market research and insights industry. We stream live on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube, and you can listen on all major podcast channels. Join Jen and her guests for a weekly discussion around topics that will help you understand your customers better. Real Talk is presented to you by Vox Popme, the leader in video research and ranked number one in qualitative research by GRIT two years running. Here's today's conversation. Hello, insights professionals, marketers, and everyone who wants to understand their customers better. I'm Jen Vogel, and today I want to talk about bringing newer qualitative research methods into well-established companies. Um, to discuss the topic, I'm joined by Joma in Global Insights Senior Manager at a 136-year-old company, Avon. Welcome to the show, Joe. Oh, hi, Jen. Thanks for having me. So good to have you on today. And I see you're, are you in the Avon offices this morning or afternoon for you? I am. And it's, it's a welcome sight, to be honest, because obviously we've been working from home for, you know, nearly two years now. And we're starting to come back, which is great. So we got kind of got the approval to start going back into the office a couple of weeks ago. So it's just a nice feeling. And, uh, you know, the, the, there's work going on, but it's just so nice to see everybody to have a little chat with everyone. I know after so long of being sort of all on Zoom, as soon as you get in person with people, there's there's little work that gets done for the first part. <laughs> you just need a good catch up, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And and there's, sometimes there's, there's people that you obviously you're on these calls with, but you've never actually met in real life. Mm. And then I, I see them and, you know, they're taller than I thought they were or, you know, or they're pregnant. And uh, there's lots of surprises, but it, it's a lovely surprise. That's great. Well, nice to have that energy you know, being in the office um, after so long, if not, and um, really thrilled to have you on the show today. And and to get us started, maybe you can just kick us off, tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience in the insights industry. Sure, Jen. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I've been working with Avon for it's coming into my eighth year now. Um, and um, prior to Avon, I had a number of other roles within uh, research, data and analytics. Um, but I kind of really found my feet here at Avon. Um, and what I particularly like about um, the company that I work in at the moment, it's it's to do with all the things that you know when you're when you're a little girl that you aspire to have, you know the clothes, you know the the makeup and things like that. So, um, kind of working as a research professional in um, you know makeup and, and beauty is is kind of the dream. Um, so yes, yeah, so I've worked here for the past eight years. I, I began uh, very much kind of um, at a regional role. Um, understanding insights within Europe. And then uh, a few years ago, I, I took on a global role um, where we looked at various categories, uh, such as, you know, fragrance, uh, color, which is our makeup category. Um, and my current role is I'm the, the research lead for Beauty Plus, which is our uh, non-beauty offering, such things like um, fashion and, and homeware. But then also I, I lead uh, major projects that go cross-market. So if we need to I don't know, research our representatives who are our sales consultants, for example, and that project will be will come under my responsibility. But then also any sort of um, I don't know, research where we need to look at other, other markets all at the same time, potentially it might be about a product, but potentially it might be about a service as well. So it's a real good combination of, you know, um, kind of research techniques, but also kind of organization and planning as well. Yeah, I mean, what what was the transition like of going from kind of a regional role to this global role where you are thinking about the sort of multi-market studies? Like, what are some of the nuances that maybe you weren't ready for? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I was kind of based in EMEA and 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 with that, you know, I, you know, I, I'm in the UK. So I always think about, you know, uh, as a consumer in the UK, um, how, how do I feel? And, you know, UK essentially is quite aligned to some of the other, you know, West, westernized markets as well, such as Germany and France. Um, with Avon, um, we have, uh, you know, really good presence in the likes of Poland and Russia. So learning about those in my European role was was really interesting. But then when we opened up to a global role and kind of learning about, you know, Asia Pacific and also LATAM as well, Latin America, it was it was really eye opening. And, you know, Avon has been around for 135 years and, you know, the different perceptions and the different understandings and the different awareness levels across those markets is vast you know and it was so i don't know it was very much like a, a learning curve understanding the different cultures the different um you know just the, the way consumers live their life in these different markets um and and that's the thing with a researcher you know you kind of start off by thinking you know what 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 it's like for you and how you consume products but then you know uh, in in a different country somewhere else it's it's totally different and and it's really eye opening but what we have here at Avon, we have a really good network and we've got a good network of, you know, marketing professionals and also research professionals in different countries. Um, so that really helps. And what we often do is have like onboarding sessions. So, you know, we'll have one of our research professionals, say, um, based in Brazil, they will do a talk on Brazil just so we get to know the consumer a little bit better. And it's those kind of, you know, those learning uh, initial learnings when you're trying to understand a country a little bit better is is so so valuable um because then when you go to do um a particular research at a particular project you know the kind of questions you 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 can ask and potentially you can kind of preempt what kind of results you'll get as well yeah that's such like a key piece it's like it before you kind of go in and ask questions about your brand or your products or your services like just try to understand like the basics right like how do people live their lives and what's important to them like what are their rituals and how is that different from your experience or other places that you've researched i think that's so you know that's so important that that first step Def definitely and and i think it's probably one of the first steps that you know any kind of research professional should take very much kind of understanding the person um, at the heart of, you know, kind of the product development stage, you know, understand them, you know, what's their day to day life like, you know, do they have children to drop, drop off? Do they, um, uh, do they live in a house or do they live in a flat? Do they have a garden? All those kind of things, because, you know, understanding about the, your core tar target consumer is at the heart of everything. And, you know, um, and sometimes, you know, that's where a lot of, you know, research projects or even products fall down because they don't actually understand the the inherent nature of you know the person that they're, they're trying to target so you know with any study we'll always try and you know understand as much as our, about our target consumer as possible obviously within Avon we'll have our own target segments but you know potentially you know that vital pieces of information of you know under, you know getting video diaries from consumers you know we might develop a product but it might be used in a slightly different way and you're like oh, yeah I never thought of doing it like that mm. so yeah kind of yeah the the application of products is different um, but also just kind of the understanding of products is different and how they refer to things and how they talk things through it is really valuable particularly when we're trying to do some sort of global communication yeah absolutely so, I mean, this is a good segue, like, could you talk a little bit about like how Avon is structured and how insights, like what are the different departments that insights serve? You talked about beauty plus, which is actually something I'm not familiar with. So I'll dig into <laughs> that a little bit, but how does insights kind of serve the different um, departments within Avon? 
Yeah, so um, we have a global insights team um, and there's probably around about eight of us and we work, you know, across different markets and we, we kind of deal with the, the, the cross market studies, if you like, and also the, the data and analytics that are associated with that. We also have um, global category leads as well. Um, and we have uh, four key categories, um, they being makeup, which is our colour cosmetics. We have fragrance, which is your after aftershades and your perfumes. And then we have care, which takes into account um, facial skincare, body care and toiletries. Um, and we'll have um, little teams, insight teams that are, are dedicated to those particular categories. And the fourth category is Beauty Plus, which is what I, I, I lead on. Um, and that is yeah, non-beauty. So it'll be things like um, fashion and homeware, home fragrance, you know, candles, things like that. And, and that's probably kind of quite a common misconception, you know, People consider Avon to just be about makeup and potentially just about lipsticks and skincare, but it's not. You know, quarter of our business is in this um, this kind of beauty plus space because what we find is that consumers are actually, you know, they like to look through the brochure that we have, um, but then sometimes they might be looking for a scarf or a bag to complement the kind of look that they're going for. So it's actually a really good, you know, um, order builder for us that we can kind of add on as well. What we also have is we have kind of the global teams that are responsible for the categories, um, but then we also have our uh, individual research uh, people in individual markets. So Avon has a number of top markets. We have the likes of Brazil, Russia, Poland, uh, the Philippines. Um, and we have research personnel in all of our top markets, and they're the ones who kind of give that extra level of detail to to our markets. If we want, if we, you know, if our global marketing have got a particular idea, um, you know, I know that I can go to my uh, local insight personnel and say, look, do you think this would resonate well? Can you give me your feedback? If we're going to do this particular survey, you know, how how do you recommend we approach it? And having that extra level of just local. Um, just that local information is is really, really valuable to the team. Yeah, it sounds like with such a, you know, kind of complex structure in a large company, there's a lot of collaboration that needs to happen amongst those teams. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and sometimes you think, you know, some, in, in many organizations, you know, research is probably, uh, probably considered a bit of an afterthought, and potentially you might do that mm. at the end. But having that insights up front knowing about the consumer is 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 so valuable and what we'll often try and do is share as much of that information to like our global brand marketing team to our creative teams to our digital teams to learn about the consumers because you know a consumer in a certain place will be very very different to somebody else but the collaboration is 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 key um we often have you know products and we need to get we need our products to be able to appeal to as many consumers as possible. So therefore, when, you know, when we, we go out to our markets to say, you know, is this a particular product that you would, you know, consider for your market? And, you know, we would need the uptake to be very positive or else, you know, potentially the product, you know, probably won't go into, into development. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh, it's so key. <laughs> Which I mean, probably that's a good thing, right? When you do that research and you find out, well, it's not really the uptake we wanted, then you know, you yeah. can focus that resource on something that's going to perform better. Definitely, Jen. And that and that's a great point. It's sometimes, you know, sometimes the research doesn't provide you with the the, the answers necessarily that, you know, our, our, our teams might be looking for. But right. it, it stops us from, you know, making decisions that, you know, ultimately would be more costly down the line. So I think, you know, having that understanding of what, what consumers want from their products, you know, understanding their challenges and their tensions right up front will really help in the long run when we begin to develop those products. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so how do how does Avon, how do you use insights, consumer insights to compete, especially with, you know, Avon's been around a long time. There's a lot of challenger brands and a lot of emerging brands that are, you know, coming into the market. Um, yeah. How do you use insights to compete? Now, Jen, we've got probably something that a lot of other beauty companies or other retail companies don't have. We have an army of uh, Avon representatives. It's about mm. 5 million, just over 5 million across the world, um, which is basically, you know, our sales force. And I don't think potentially no other company has the size of Salesforce that we have. Um, so there are, they, you know, there are number one kind of core target, if you like, we need to please that representative, our sales consultants, you know, um, any product that we develop, you know, we have to make sure that they, the representative understands it, we have to make sure that the representative knows how to actually sell that product on. Um, so, you know, making sure that we understand her, it's usually her needs, but we do have a, a lot of male representatives as well. But understanding what they want is is absolutely vital. And I think that's what's really helped us. Um, and, and like you say, Jen, you know, we have been uh, around for an awful long time, but that actually helps us, you know. Um, when I first started at Avon, everyone's like, oh, my, my mother used to use that or my mm -hmm. grandmother used to use that. And there is that there's that sense of nostalgia um, and, and also that kind of connection uh, with, with the brand. And, and I don't think that's I think that's a really, really nice thing, because also, you know, you have to look, you know, we've been developing products for you know over 135 years. And, you know, there's a reason that we're still doing what we do. You know, we've got a fantastic um, product and development center uh, based in the US that continually you know, strive to get the best innovation um, for our customers. So it, it's very much kind of, you know, a collaboration between, you know, ensuring that our representatives are happy. They're our biggest and bravest ambassadors. We've got a fantastic R&D facility that, that helps us develop products. We've recently developed, you know, a, a new uh, serum that promises, you know, seven, seven skincare benefits in seven days. And it's absolutely, it, it's fantastic. But what we can do is we can get our representatives to sell it for us. You know, they can do their before and afters, you know, you know, in the world of social media and social selling now, you know, our, our representatives are, you know, our biggest asset. We can, you know, we'll see on social media that they're sharing with their potential customers. Um, and I think it's just a, it's a really nice way of how Avon has evolved. Um, you know, it's not necessarily door to door selling anymore. It is in some markets because that still resonates really well. But, you know, it might be a representative um, selling in, uh, selling our products online or potentially it might just be, uh, you know, our own websites as well. But having those kind of reviews and those befores and afters have really helped us kind of, you know, you know, continue to be to be a force we reckon with in the beauty market for so long. I like you couldn't see my face. I'm like shocked at how many people you have selling Avon. That's that's incredible. That's so, so many people. Five million representatives, and you know, it makes sense that they're kind of a core target audience for consumer insights. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they're consuming the products, but also selling them and yeah. on on your behalf. So like understanding their needs is probably so crucial. Um, in addition to, yeah. you know, the people who are going to buy the products on the. Absolutely. You know. and, and what we often find, Jen, is that our representative is quite similar to the the, the type of consumer that they sell to. Um, a lot of our consumers have like, we call them kind of friends and family representatives. And therefore, you know, 
uh, they potentially buy the products, but they just sell on a small scale. They don't do it as a big business opportunity, but they just sell to friends and family. They might get a little bit of, you know, a bit of commission uh, for selling the products or whatever. Um, and it's just enough to, you know, keep them engaged and keep them, keep them, uh, you know, you know, engage with, with Avon. But, you know, it's, it's, if we can kind of, you know, get her on board and, you know, um, make sure that any products that we do develop, you know really resonate with her she will obviously then go and pass that information on to her friends and family she'll make recommendations and that's how we we, we kind of build up that that trust and we have done over over the years yeah it's it's incredible and you really can't compete with the nostalgia piece i mean like that like you said i i know people who are still like i swear by avon products like 80 year old family members who are like i've been using it for my whole life and you know that's something you can't create with the these new brands that are kind of emerging in this social selling ecosystem yes, absolutely and 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 that's the thing we are aware of obviously the, the social selling and there's and the kind of other other brands potentially consider themselves as you know social selling or network selling um, we're we're on that journey as well. You know, we have our representatives, um, but we also have you know opportunities to purchase online as well, um, and also you know for our social channels. But we do a re we're doing a really good job of kind of bringing it all together um, so that we kind of cover every every aspect. Um, you know, of, of the kind of the, the channel journey, and um, we are starting to do you know potentially some stores as well, particularly in in Asia, um, and that's something that you know we probably. You know, we've probably been toying with the idea for a long time, but obviously at the moment there's a big thing around, you know, about experience. Mm -hmm. um, people, you know, wanting to experience the product. So potentially having it in store, you know, plus a representative that can can kind of top up that shopping as well is is really valuable. I think what Avon has also done in the past in in the past few years as well, we provide samples because what we do know is that you know if you're buying like a skincare cream for x amount of dollars um it's a risk if you haven't tried it it's a risk for you so what we try to do is pro provide you know provide samples um you know and we're starting to develop you know such tools like digital tools that'll help you know making that product choice um a lot easier that sounds like some exciting new developments retail for sure that's a really interesting one it's transformed research um but it it kind of it was always it was always needed and it was always going to happen, but I think it's just accelerated it. So, um, you know, we were probably, I wouldn't say we were, we were in the dark ages, but, you know, there was a lot of conceptions that, you know, a research group should be, you know, we'll all sit together around a room, you know, we might show some stimulus, might show some concepts and things like that. And um, there's great value in doing that. But obviously, because of the pandemic, we had to kind of shift those to online. Um, and potentially, you know, you probably don't get the level of, um, I don't know, the level of engagement between your, your participants. But what I really like is probably you get a bit more honesty. You haven't got somebody chirping in and you haven't got, um, you know, somebody else disagreeing with what you might say, because obviously, you know, they're kind of moder moderated in a, in a really nice way now. Um, we've obviously had to start to use different tools and, you know, obviously there's there's no replacements for, for surveys for getting that kind of, I don't know, quantitative validation of a particular particular idea or a particular challenge. Um, but what I really have enjoyed doing is very much kind of video diaries um, and, um, you know, just kind of getting into, like we were saying before, getting into the 
in, into the consumer's life, you know, getting under the skin of, you know, what, what she's up to, you know, how she applies her makeup, um, you know, looking through her makeup bag, you know, looking through her, mm. her toiletries and things like that, just to kind of understand, you know, what kind of products uh, we, we should look to develop. Um, we use obviously Vox, Vox Pops. That's, that's a really valuable tool for us um, because, you know, we might get a request from um, a particular category. I need to know a little bit about, I don't know, we'll give the example of, of retinol. So retinol, you know, is an ingredient that's used quite heavily within skincare. You know, some of the, the major players are, are, uh, are talking about retinol quite a lot. But, you know, we kind of sense that there was an understanding that consumers knew the word, but they didn't necessarily understand what retinol did. So, you know, you know, launching some sort of like um, just some video chat of, you know, do you know what retinol is? And, you know, consumers will say, yeah. But then when you ask them to <laughs> explain what retinol is, they're like, oh, it's something for your skin. And I'm like, okay, so you know it's something for your skin, but you don't necessarily, you know, know, know all the benefits or you don't understand, um, you know, the kind of the ingredients and how it will affect your skin afterwards and things like that. So, you know, getting it from, getting it from de direct from consumers is really helpful because the way Avon operates predominantly is through the representative and a brochure. So with our brochures, you know, we only have, a certain level of time, a certain amount of time to grab that consumer in or grab that representative. We need to ensure that what we're writing in that brochure is easily understood um, by by our representatives or our, by our consumers. So we can't be you know blinding them with science. They need to know what what the product does, how it will help them in easy to use language. And doing those consumer videos, we really actually learn what kind of language they understand and necessarily what they don't understand as well. So you know that. That integration of, you know, just videos with consumers, it, it's it's so, so beneficial. And what we also use them a lot for as well is, you know, if we've got a particular product development, we've got a particular idea, um, potentially, I wouldn't say it's a dragon's den scenario, but sometimes we have to kind of, you know, justify the idea and explain why it might work. Having that consumer video of somebody saying, I've got this particular problem, it's worth its weight in gold. It's better than any survey. It's actually, you know, getting to the heart of, you know, you know, the, the kind of the tension, the challenge that potentially Avon could address through a product. Uh, I always love that. I mean, there's such a big difference of hearing someone actually say it in their own words than showing a chart or a graph, like so much more powerful. You're, it's a reminder, right? Like there's people behind all this data. There's people yeah. behind all these numbers. It's not just out of thin air. And I think when you look at that data so often, it's easy to forget, like this all came from our consumers or our reps or whoever. Um, and, and yeah, like really seeing their voice. I'm also like hysterical laughing over here because I am that like retinol person who <laughs> knew it was a thing. I had no idea what, it, like I literally just about a week ago, like had to have it explained to me by a doctor. Like, <laughs> got my first product with retinol in it. Now I get it. But yeah, that's, um, there's definitely like so many words yeah. science words in skincare that i just think people i'll speak for myself like you know i there i guess when i was younger there wasn't like a whole skincare routine mm -hmm. right now it's like your cleanser and your toner and your serum and your moisturizer and this is morning and this is night it's like a thousand products you need and nobody really understands how to do it so we need you guys to tell us what do we need to do yeah and, and that's the thing and that's where 
that's where we're kind of that gives us a real competitor advantage we've got that brochure we've got mm -hmm. that opportunity to to tell consumers or representatives how to use their products but also obviously they can go online as well and there'll be there'll be videos and there'll be tutorials and, uh, and all of all of like the additional information which goes with it in terms of you know the ingredients that are contained within within um within all of our products but yeah Another probably a good example as well is something that is, you know, is a buzzword at the moment, you know, particularly for majority of retail brands is around sustainability, you know, and, you know, we, we kind of get get told that, you know, we have to continue to, you know, act in a way that's sustainable, potentially develop products that are sustainable and and, and the list goes on about sustainability, but potentially when you speak to a consumer, you know, I did a I did a, um, a Vox Pops the other day around sustainability, um, you know, and the understanding of sustainability varies so much. You know, someone says, oh, if it's sustainable, it means it's going to last a long time. If it's sustainable, it means it's durable. And I'm thinking, no, there's a there's a real, I don't know, lack of understanding of what we term, you know, as, as brands as being sustainable or acting sustainably um, and what the consumer understands. So therefore, we have to kind of elevate those messages about how we're acting sustainably rather than using the actual term sustainability. You know, we'll look to recycle products. Um, you know, we'll look to, you know, ethically source our products. And then then they're kind of, OK, OK, so that is sustainability. But just kind of, you know, putting it in, you know, easier to understand language is so much more helpful. And, you know, just understanding that consumers didn't necessarily understand the word sustainability was a real eye opener. Yeah, I bet. I bet that comes up a lot, actually, and talking to consumers, you know, not realizing yeah. something you've been saying all along that yes. you're in the business, yeah. you understand it, and you just yeah. assume other people do, too. It's, you know, yeah. probably really, really helpful with the strategy. Um, and so it, I guess in thinking about implementing like new technologies, new methodologies, like how do you balance onboarding something new, changing that that process with doing something that is reliable and known and familiar to the team like digital transformation is such a challenge in the industry like what are some of the techniques that have worked for you but you know what jen i think the the, the biggest advantage that kind of goes across everything is time um and that really helps us you know um because a lot of the the newer you know technological uh, research techniques that we use they're just quicker, you know. I could mm. I can la launch a I don't know a, a video chat, um, you know, today, and then by the time I get home from work, you know, it will be completed. You know, consumers have already logged on and started to you know submit their responses or whatever. So you know that element of speed and time far overrides you know um, you know the kind of the older techniques that we were using. Speed is definitely key, but then also agility. You know, potentially, you know, online forums when I can actually, you know, pass on a message to the moderator in real time and say, okay, they're talking about this. Can you just ask them if they know a little bit, a little bit about this? Which is, you know, is 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 so vital as well. So I think, you know, I think what we've done, what we've done a good job of within Avon is taking our teams on the journey with us. You know, when we've started to introduce the example of Vox Pops. Um, you know, we we showcased, you know, just like a typical Avon consumer talking about Avon in their own words and like, oh, wow, I didn't know they felt like that. I didn't know they felt like this. And it's it's kind of the demonstration of, you know, the consumer, like we said, it again, you know, in real life uh, really helps to, to, to kind of 
embed that kind of research technique. And don't get me wrong, it won't it won't replace other research, you know, uh, programs or initiatives that that we have. But you know, getting to know the consumer in a short space of time. Let's be lean. Let's be agile. And those kind of techniques will will re really really help us. Um, and just since I've been here, you know, um, you know, I've been with Avon. It's coming to my eighth year now. I remember, you know, I used to action and research projects at the very start, and you know, your results have come back, you know, three months later. But now, you know, it's days or weeks, which is it's just so so important um, because sometimes you know we need to make decisions on a very quick basis and if i can just run a particular study within a few hours then you know it's it's brilliant and can really help to make those decisions yeah it's almost like you got to take the leap like try yeah. something experience how much time it's yeah. going to save you or how it's going to help and then you know it makes it easier to really build yeah. it into your workflows and make it something that is you know part of your everyday strategy as opposed to you know something new you have to learn or, you know, I think sometimes there is a bit of a fear of like, oh, I, like learning a new mm -hmm. piece of technology or a new methodology is going to um, take time or resource that I don't have. But that I love that, like just experiencing it for the first time, you realize mm -hmm. actually this is going to really help me in the long run. And, and, and I think, Jenny, it's one of those things where, you know, you take yourself as a consumer now mm -hmm. compared to 10, 10 years ago, I wasn't shopping on my phone. I was, you know, uh, going to the high street, trying on some items and then coming back, potentially returning some of them. But now I just browse on my phone, you know, the consumer has changed. So technology and research needs to change with it. And kind of, you know, un understanding that kind of user experience is, is so key. Um, yeah, just making sure that you know, we don't get left behind. That we do, you know, start to embrace these, you know, these, you know, research techniques that you can have, you can have on your phone now. You know, be a bit more, be a bit more tech savvy and things. I, I'd love to see what you know what research will look like in 10, 15 years time. We'll be, we will be writing in the air and literally throwing it up to the cloud. I don't know, but it's the potential's <laughs> there. Yeah, we'll all be just getting together and having consumer conversations in the metaverse or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll I'll be excited to see that develop. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so what uh maybe talk a little bit about your process for doing research with product la launches. We touched on this a little earlier about how, you know, you really need to have a a positive um, response yeah. to a, a, a new concept or a new product. So what, what's sort of the process you follow for new product launches and um, doing research? Yeah, so we kind of, it's it's this it's not a short process. It's quite quite a lengthy process. But the reason it's lengthy is because it's, it's got to be right. And we have to ensure that the innovation that we develop, you know, meets the meets the consumer needs and also the representative needs as well. So what, what we often do is we kind of have like, um, you know, an ideas generation. Um, but what we will do, those ideas are very much kind of wedded um, from insights that we've potentially got from some sort of qualitative research. We might we might do some video chats. We might do some ethnographies. We might do some diaries. We might do some focus groups, getting to know the consumer. And let's face it, you know, we, we are doing, we are continually innovating. But potentially, you know, we've got um you know, some, I don't know, some consumer videos from a few years ago that actually, you know, will be really helpful. So we can kind of combine all of those kind of qualitative insights up front to help generate these ideas. And then what we'll often do is, you know, we'll we'll have a look at these ideas, we'll refine them a little bit, potentially we'll put them into sort of like an ideas test, and that will be a quantitative 
ideas test and then you know we'll we'll look at the ones that perform really well potentially we don't need to do a lot about that but the ones that probably didn't perform so well or the ones that we thought would perform well that didn't we'd probably look to optimize them a little bit you know maybe change the wording potentially uh, the articulation wasn't quite right uh, and then we begin to develop them into into concepts where um you know this is kind of like a very much a a joined up process with our uh, global uh, global marketing teams, also with our creative teams, uh, kind of envisaging what that concept or that product might look like, um, and then the, the 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 concept itself will go into a quantitative test, um, and then ideally, you know, when we go to kind of you know product and feasibility actually when we've got like a potentially a, a pilot product for example you know putting it into the consumer's hands seeing how they'll use it um I, I, someone told me a really interesting uh piece of information about um one of the uh medicine uh, medicine brands here in the uk that um they developed a syringe for um for getting the medicine out of a bottle um but they did um a, a like a, a user group with uh, new mums and one of the new mums put the syringe straight into the bottle and then tipped the bottle upside down and that's how you drew the medicine but that wasn't the intention of that particular syringe um it was supposed to you know to uh, work the other way up but just having that and seeing how the consumer actually used the product has you know was like revolution towards them and that's how they kind of positioned it which i, th I think is really nice as soon as you get that product into the consumer's hands seeing how they use it you know, even just from, you know, them taking off the, the, the cap, um, can they open it properly? You know, is it going to, I don't know, you know, spray everything over them? Is it in good packaging and things like that? And just getting kind of their, you know, first initial spontaneous reactions is is, is always really helpful because this is the time where we do make, need to make any sort of like product changes, then, then we can. But I think the key message is combining qualitative with quantitative again the quantitative and qualitative then potentially yeah you you're on the right track yeah i mean i i can appreciate like it does sound like a bit of a lengthy process but there's so much you're learning at every stage there's really nothing that you can afford to skip um, no that's that's it yeah. <laughs> and, and potentially as well you know we, we will have um i don't know let's say eight to 10 concepts that perform really well, but that's probably eight to 10 concepts per category. We could put mm. some in a back pocket. Potentially we might not use them for this year's innovation, but potentially we might use them for future year's innovation as well. So um, all the work that we do is, isn't wasted, you know, um, any sort of optimization that we can do on those concepts will really help us um, for, for future innovation as well. Yeah, it sounds like a good problem to have. We've got too yeah. many good ideas. We've got too <laughs> many products that people want to buy. Um, <laughs> That's definitely a, a good problem to have. Um, well, I I think we're going to try one more time to hear from our VP of Research, Brian Monsheen, before we wrap up. Let's see if we can get that clip rolling. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our first installment of Bright Ideas. Today, I'm going to be talking through the key components needed for writing a good concept. So there's definitely some different schools of thought on, on ways to write concepts. I'm going to walk through a framework that I've used in my past that has proven pretty successful in, in getting uh, positive results from uh, target consumers. So you want to keep in mind that a good concept will really help bring the product and the experience to life. 
and it's going to allow the consumer to really connect with the idea in a meaningful way. So you want to take some time to ensure that you've got the right setup. So before we get into the components, I want to just quickly walk through some of the simple guidelines that I usually try to follow when I'm writing a concept. So the first is that you want to keep it consistent. Um, most likely you're going to have multiple concepts that you're comparing against in a, in a test. And you want to make sure that you keep that similar structure from concept to concept. I've seen cases where the slightest change in the, the concept framework can inadvertently have um, an impact on the scores on the back end. So you just want to make sure that you're keeping things consistent throughout. You also want to make sure that the, the concept is clear and easy to understand. Um, you, you certainly don't want a situation where there's confusion because that's definitely going to have a negative impact on your purchase intent uh, when you're looking at your data. And then finally, as far as visuals, I have no issue with including visuals, again, as long as it connects uh, with the message and, uh, and there's no um, understanding issues. So let's get into the framework. Um, typically, a concept is going to be one page. It's a few sentences, maybe a picture and some pricing and sizing information, and that's it. Um, when you start out your, your concept, obviously, you're going to have a concept name. So that's going to be at the top of your concept. You want to make sure it's clear and unique. And you, know, you can also decide whether or not you want branded or unbranded. So there's pros and cons to, to each of those. I think branded is good because it makes it immediately identifiable to the consumer. But at the same time, um, branded could bias uh, the consumer, especially if it's a situation where they think this is way too far of a leap for this brand. So there's ways around that. You can, you can go in keeping this concept unbranded. And then later on in your survey, ask, okay, so if this product was for so-and-so brand, how would you react? How would that impact your purchase intent? So there's, there's some solves depending on how you want to manage it. The next is your headline. So this is really your hook. So think of the most important idea you have with this concept <clears throat> and put that right in the, in the beginning. This is going to be the, something that's just going to get them immediately interested in it. The next area really gets into the, what I call problem solution. So you're first going to um, highlight a problem that um, this product is eventually going to solve for. So the, the, this area is, I like to call it the consumer beliefs. So you're going to start with the insight. Try to think about what problems that you're solving for this product. This is really that consumer tension that will help set up the next section, which highlights the product's features and benefits. So you then get into the benefit, the consumer benefit. So why would a consumer want to buy this product? This section really addresses that need um, that you talked about earlier and what the solution is going to be. And you know, I usually try to think about this in, in both the, the rational and the emotional sense. So you're basically, you're trying to connect with the mind and the heart. And what I mean by that is, you know, rational benefits are, are really all about what the consumer gets from this product or experience. But the emotional benefit is really what they're going to feel. So if possible, try to layer in any emotional benefits that you have for this, because it really helps create some empathy with the consumer and again, draws them in more. Next is your RTB which stands for reason to believe. Um, this is, you know, obviously you want to make this believable. So without being too technical, describe why this product delivers on the benefits that you talked about earlier. And, you know, examples of RTBs can be things like compelling product features, third-party endorsements, or even product claims. And then finally, you, you can finish off the concept with pricing information, size information. Uh, if you've got a catchy tagline, add that in. And there you have it a well-written, informative, and persuasive concept. So that's it for me. Thanks for watching, everybody, and enjoy the rest of the episode. 
I'm so glad we got that working. And I actually think that was quite timely after just talking about um, concept testing and how you guys at Avon, Joe, are you know testing concepts and new innovations. Uh, what are your thoughts on on Brian's uh, structure for writing a concept test? It's pretty much bang on and what, what the kind of thing that we would approach it as well. And uh, I loved his, uh, you know, branded and unbranded, because I'll be honest, we have we have that debate with ourselves on numerous occasions, but we tend to go with unbranded and then potentially ask the, uh, the fit to brand question later on in the survey as well. But no, absolutely spot on. And I think, you know, it kind of goes back to what we were saying at the beginning, you know, we need to we need to explain what the product does, what challenge, what tension it addresses for the consumer. Um, and therefore writing it in consumer language is, is so important. You know, the scientific scientific jargon, retinol, perfect example, <laughs> you know, it has to be easily understood because, yeah, you know, when you put it into concept tests and you have consumers, you know, uh, reviewing the concept and they don't understand it, then obviously it's going to perform poorly. And potentially, you know, the people who looked at developing that product are going to be disappointed. But if you don't articulate it in a way that the consumer understands, then, yeah, they will be disappointed. Yeah. Uh, lots of copywriting skills necessary for, <laughs> yeah. for researchers out there. Um, well, thanks so much, Brian, for those tips. And Joe, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This was a lot of fun. And I loved kind of hearing about your approach and all the work you guys are doing and uh, such a longstanding brand. So thank you so much for coming on. Oh, it's a pleasure, Jen. Thanks very much. Take care. Absolutely. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, Join us next week where uh, we'll have another episode. I'll be joined by Emmanuel Probst of Ipsos. We will see you then.